Well, there you have it. From the mouth of babes. This is the ninth study in our series on the family, on the home. And tonight, we're back in Ephesians chapter 6 this time, the first three verses. You'll notice that it begins, and the second word after addressing children is a four-letter word, obey. I say a four-letter word, perhaps that's appropriate because, frankly, some kids think that's about all it is. It's another four-letter word. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. There was a story of a 16-year-old who just got his driver's license and he wanted to use the family car. So he came to his father and he said, Dad, can I use the family car? Dad said, well, tell you what. If you can get your grades up, if you can read your Bible more than you have been lately, and if you get your hair cut, come back and we'll discuss it. Son said, fair enough. Month went by. They got together again. Dad said, son, I'm really proud of you. Your grades are way up. You've been reading your Bible a lot, but you haven't cut your hair yet. And son said, well, Dad, because I've been reading the Bible, I've noticed something. I've noticed that Samson had long hair. And uh, I've noticed that Absalom had long hair. I noticed that Moses had long hair. And it would even seem that Jesus himself had long hair. And his father paused, smiled, and said, yep, you're right. And they walked everywhere they went. Now, there was only one thing that kept a boy from walking and would allow him to drive. It's called obedience. And obedience happens to be one of the primary roles of a child, every child, within the home. And so tonight we look at the topic and the message is entitled, The Child's Role in a Happy Home. Now, you know, obedience doesn't come naturally for any of us. For any of us, whether we're young, middle-aged, or old, we're basically independent people. We want to do our own thing. We don't like to be told by anybody what to do, whether it's a parent or a law enforcement officer or God. It doesn't come naturally. There is an independence from authority that's part of our nature. Thus, it requires a God-inspired leading directive and a desire to honor him to pull this off. I was given something that uh, was sort of interesting. It's called the property laws of a toddler. I didn't know there were any until I read this, and I agree with it. There's like ten commandments here. The property laws of a toddler. Number one, if I like it, it's mine. Number two, if it's in my hand, it's mine. Number three, if, if I can take it from you, it's mine. Number four, if I had it a little while ago, it's mine. Number five, if it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it just looks like it's mine, it's mine. Number eight, if I saw it first, it's mine. Number nine, if you're playing with something and you don't put it down, and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. And number ten, if it's broken, it's yours. Yep, that's how it works. But now look at the maturing process which is implied by these three verses. 
that says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Allow me to put this in perspective from where we started in this section. Verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 6 are all part of a host of ways to be submissive. We remember that submission isn't one-sided, it is mutual in a home. That is, everyone has a role, some kind of submissive role to play. For back in verse 21, Paul says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That is, it's done by everyone in the home. And then, examples follow, four of them in the household. First of all, as wives are to submit to their husbands. Second, husbands are to submit to their wives by loving them. I know you're thinking, now wait a minute. How is it that loving your wife is like submitting to her? Well, look at verse 25. It'll tell you how. Husbands, love your wives just as Jesus or Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There's no greater act of submission in the world than laying your life down for somebody. The ultimate act of submission in history is the cross. Christ submitted to the Father and submitted to the needs of the world by dying for our sins on the cross. The third act of submission is here, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents. And then the fourth one is parents submitting by training their children, which is a lifelong endeavor. So tonight we look at the role of the child in the mutual submission structure of the home. And because it's estimated that some 37% of Americans have children under the age of 18 living at home, this becomes very relevant stuff. Now, there's only a few verses, but we're going to break it up like this. Notice the subject. We'll, We'll take it apart slowly. The subject is children. Children obey. Now, the first thing you were in life was a child. That's the first relationship you ever had, is that of being a child to a parent. Every one of us began life as a child. And it's a very formidable, formative, important role. It was the first social setting we ever had. And so we picked up things being a child. First of all, a child develops a view of himself or herself within the home, depending on how he is treated or she is treated by mom, dad, grandpa, grandma, uncles, aunts, and siblings. We develop, as a child, the view of who we are in life. That's where it begins. Second, we learn values as a child. We learn what's important because we watch what's important to mom and dad. If it's money if it's social position, if it's pleasures of life, or if it's relationship, if it's a relationship to Jesus Christ, all of those values are learned and they stick with us as we go through life. And then third, it is the home where we learn respect for authority. And depending on how we deal with authority in the home and what parents do with us in the home, that will determine how we're going to relate to other authority figures later on, like in school with teachers, like in society with the government, like at work with employers, or in, in general life with God. All of that is molded, so to speak, in the early years at the home. Children. 
Now, we automatically think when we hear the word child or children that Paul means somebody, oh, about that big, really tiny little children. But the Greek word is techna, which is a word that refers to all offspring. And it refers to sons or daughters still living under mom and dad's roof, which these days, these days can be into the 30s or 40s, it seems like. If you're under your parents' roof, this is a commandment for you. You are to obey your parents and honor them in the Lord. That is, the attitude of honoring doesn't stop after you're a tiny little child. In fact, it doesn't even end when you leave the home. I know verse 31 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And that's a marriage relationship. But the attitude of honoring stays with a person or should stay with them through their whole life. You know, we sort of have this view that when, when we're 18 and we leave the house, if we leave the house at 18, that that part of our life's over now. I'm on my own. Don't need them. That's past history now. Then we mature a little bit more. And we're faced with a whole new problem as we get a little older. It's called aging parents who require love and attention and help. And we see that life goes full circle First of all, there's birth. We're very dependent when we're born, completely dependent on parents. Then there's that growth phase after toddlerhood, and we have a gradual independence until we get to the third phase where we launch from the home. We're out on our own. We're a little more independent. We have our own responsibilities, our own families. Then there's the middle-aged years. This is where we get tired, lose our vitality a little bit more because we've spent so much energy raising those children. Then there's old age, where all your dreams are reruns, it seems. Where you become once again dependent, but this time not on parents, but you become dependent on children. Somebody once said there are seven ages of man. They are spills, drills, thrills, bills, pills, and then wills. (laughs) Now, part of honoring your parents will never leave you because they will get older and they will depend upon us. And Jesus, by the way, is a great example of that. We don't have to look any further than the New Testament. There was a, a conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees one day who had, interestingly enough, twisted their own law to get out of a responsibility to mom and dad. They called it korban, or dedicated. That that simply meant, if I don't like my mom and dad right now, all I have to say is, my money, my couch, my home, everything I own is korban, dedicated to the Lord. So if mom and dad come over and they say, I could really use some help this month, I, I need some financial assistance. I'd love to, mom and dad, but my bank account is dedicated to God. So Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7, You reject God's laws in order to hold on to your own traditions. Moses gave you this law from God, honor father and mother. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, Sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I could have given to you. And so you let them disregard their needy parents. And then what of Jesus himself? Here Jesus is hanging on the cross at the end of his life. 
He is consumed by pain. It's the kind of experience that would be all-consuming. But he thinks about his mother. As he sees her at the foot of the cross with his disciple John, he utters some words that in a sense says, John, you take care of her. Mother, this is your new son. He's going to watch after you. And he made sure that she was taken care of before he died. So this is addressed to children, techna, all born ones of parents, living under the roof, but then that attitude that continues throughout life. Second, look closely at the substance of the command. It's twofold. It says, children, obey. Verse 2, we are to honor, quoting from Exodus chapter 20. So it's summed up by obey and honor, obey and honor. And there's a difference. Obey is the action. Honor is the attitude. Obey is the action. Honor is the attitude. And ideally, ideally, the attitude and the action become one. doesn't always happen that way, but that's ideal. Let me explain obedience. The word obey is the Greek word hupakuo. comes from two words. First word, listen. Second word, under. Literally, it's children... Listen under your parents. Look up to them and attentively, meticulously listen to what they say in order that you might do what they tell you. So, obedience begins with listening and continues with doing. You've heard parents say that a lot. Parents, you probably say that a lot. Were you listening to me? Listen to what I'm saying. Hear my words. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Because obedience always begins with listening carefully and then following through with it. Then there is the word honor. Again, quoting from Exodus chapter 20, honor your father and mother. This is the fifth commandment. Exodus 20 verse 12. The Hebrew word for that, though this is in the Greek New Testament, the original time it was given in Exodus 20, is the word kabod, which means to add weight to, or to make heavy, make something heavy. The idea behind it to the Hebrews is the attitude of attaching importance to a person's position or their words. Attaching weight to it, or importance to it. Now this is what it implies. To obey and honor parents implies that you respect them when you talk about them to other people, or to them directly, there's a respect built in. I remember in high school, people would come, kids would come, and they'd say, yeah, my old man said, and that was sort of cool to say back then, that's a long time ago, I'm dating myself, to call your dad the old man. And I could just never bring myself to doing that. It was just so disrespectful. Now, I've been in the South, and when I first went to the South, and was around Franklin Graham and his parents, it was a shock the way Southerners treat parents. It's always yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And Franklin will come home and to this day say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Now, we don't do that out West, you know. In California, you see your parents go, hey, (laughs) what's up, dude? (laughs) But this implies respect. Listen courteously to what is being said, which is very hard for kids to do, right? Especially at a certain age. You know, there's a transition that occurs. We, we all know it as parents. We all see it. The transition is where you as a parent morph 
from superhero to super geek. (laughs) You know everything. You're the paragon of virtue and beauty. And suddenly you're like dumb. You don't know anything. That seems to be a trend in culture. I remember my dad would give me a chore to do. And every chore would always be followed by a philosophical reason. Now, you should do this job, but you know, every job worth doing is worth doing well. And these were good and right things that he told me, but you know, I had a body language all my own. (sighs) I'd sigh. I just had a bad attitude. Like the proverbial boy who, when his father told him to sit down, he did, but he grimaced and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm still standing up on the inside. That's a bad attitude. Let me just tell you something. If you are listening to this, if you're still living with your parents, you're here tonight, they're nudging you right now perhaps, or you might have this tape suddenly, instantly shipped to you, you don't know why. Let me just say, please listen to it. Take it to heart. Nothing casts a dark shadow over a home like a bad attitude. And it can be very contagious. Obey and honor. And that implies respect. And I think it also implies appreciation. You remember when you really started appreciating your parents? When was it? When you had your own kids. Suddenly it dawned on you. It happened to me too. Wow. This is a big commitment. And they did it four times over. And I remember getting on the phone. Mom, thank you, Dad. What's up with you? I'm so appreciative. Because suddenly you realize the cost. You know, by the way, it's supposed that to raise a child these days from birth to 18, $250,000. Think about soccer uniforms and dues and tuition and books, etc., etc. Gas, shoes. Costs a lot of money, but it's even more than money, isn't it? The nausea when you're pregnant with that child. It's the sitting up at nights and wondering, where are they? It's the prayers for them, all that goes into them. One of the quickest ways to crush a parent's spirit is by an attitude of disrespect. And notice something else here while we're there. Obey your what? Parents. That's plural, as I read it. It doesn't mean one, it means both. Now, because it means both, honor your parents, let me just give a word to parents. There needs to be a mutual agreement between mom and dad when you set parameters for children, when you set disciplinary measures for children, when you set what is expected for your child. Because if a mom and dad give contradictory advice, that's going to confuse the child. If dad's really lenient, mom's really hard, not only are they going to learn manipulation, But you are keeping them from keeping this command. You're making it very difficult. Mixed signals. You're undermining God's plan for their lives. So get on the same page. Obey your parents. Something else. The requirements are obey and honor. Nothing more. And I don't think you should expect anything more than obey and honor. Didn't say, children, be the best on the soccer team of any other child. Children, make straight A's and 100% on every score. 
Children, be perfect in every imaginable way. No, it just says, obey and honor. So I think it's this. If your child is willing to listen to you and add importance to that and has an attitude of respect and is doing his or her best, bless them for that. Don't castigate them. I think some parents try to force their children into a mold that they never fulfilled themselves. Well, I wanted to be the president of the student body. I never could. My wife wanted to be the top cheerleader. She never was. So you've got to do both. <laughs> this is what is required, obedience and honoring. Then there's the scope of this command. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. That is... That is a qualification for obeying and what what you go up to and when you cross the line into something else. Obey them in the Lord. So the general command is to have an attitude where you attach importance to what they say and to their position. You get under, you listen, you do your best, but it is in the Lord. There are exceptions. If they tell you to do something that's against the Lord, you're not to do it. We see this in Acts chapter 5. We know that the Bible says you're to obey the laws of the land. But in Jerusalem, did you know that a law was passed that the disciples couldn't preach the gospel publicly? They couldn't do it. It He was outlawed. The name of Jesus was outlawed. And so Peter said, listen, we must obey God rather than men. So that's the limit. If a parent asks a child to do something that violates God's will for his or her life, that's not in the Lord. So if a parent is hostile to Jesus Christ, if a parent steps between the relationship that he or she has with God, if a parent is preventing a child from spiritual growth, then they have usurped God's prerogative in their life. And that child must obey God at that point rather than men. See, Jesus gave another law. He laid down this rule. He said, If you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother, wife and children. Brothers and sisters, yes, even more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. When I was first saved, and I was going to church and going to Bible study every night to get fed, and I was so excited about it, and my parents didn't understand it. To their credit, they tried. I was just this goofy, long-haired kid who was doing weird things with a big Bible and Jesus t-shirts all day long. So they just said, you're weird, and I think it's that Bible study. And my father said, you can't go anymore to that church, to those Bible studies. Now, I was over 18 at the time. And I remembered what Peter said in the book of Acts chapter 5, we must obey God rather than men. So very courteously, I said, Dad, I love you, I respect you, I honor you, and I'm to honor my father, and I do. But you've crossed the line now between my relationship with God and I have to do what God says. So if that's what you're going to tell me, then I'm going to have to move out of the house. So here is then the scope of the command. Obey your parents in the Lord. Listen, if, if you have parents that are advising you, either by words or example, to do something that's unbiblical, don't do it. If your parents are saying, you know, I think you ought to move in with somebody before you get married to them and have sexual relations, just see if it fits. Don't obey that. Go against that. That's not in the Lord. That's the scope. 
Notice the next phrase. This gives us the sanctity of the command. I like this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's the right thing to do. Or a better translation, that's why I call it, it's the sanctity, for it is righteous. Now, it could be that he's just saying, according to natural law, this is the right thing to do. It's just right. Children, obey parents. That's right. It's true that virtually every society is built upon a premise that children ought to obey their parents. That's virtually every society that's ever existed. And even pagan Rome had those ideals. In fact, to an extreme, I would say. They had a law they called potria potestas, or the absolute authority over a child throughout a lifetime. Which means, essentially, a child never comes of age. The dad chooses whom the child will marry, son or daughter. The dad chooses what career he or she will have. And the father can even punish the child after the child is married and has his own family unto death with capital punishment, even if the child is a member of the Roman Senate. But this could simply mean by Paul, this, this is right. This is the natural law that God has built into society. Greeks, Romans, everybody knows this is just the order of any society. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. You know, I think something else. I think that God instinctively puts within the conscience of a child the difference between right and wrong. And I think it's easy for a child to believe in God. It's the most natural thing for it. You have to teach a child not to believe in God. You have to deprogram those instincts for a child to say, What God? Children have a natural proclivity towards spiritual things. I've seen it so many times. I heard a story about a couple that was an atheist, and they had a five-year-old daughter. Now, they never said anything about God to their daughter, never took the child to church. When the child was five, she was in the room where mom and dad were having an argument. And the father yelled at his wife and shot the wife and killed her, turned the gun on himself, committed suicide, and this five-year-old witnessed the entire thing. Can you imagine how traumatic? Well, the court stipulated she go to a foster home. The foster mother was a Christian, decided, I'm going to take this child to church. First Sunday, she took the atheistic child to church, a five-year-old. The foster mother went to the Sunday school teacher and said, please be patient with her. She really didn't know anything about the Bible, about God, about spirituality. Told her the story. Well, the Sunday school teacher in the class held up a rendering, a picture of Jesus and said, does anybody know who this is? The five-year-old raised her hand and said, I do. That was the man that was holding me the night my parents were both killed. Just instinctively, God let her know something is right and something is wrong here and God was there to comfort her. I think God puts his plan within the human psyche and the sin nature is what erodes that. Well, So that's what Paul perhaps means when he says this is just the natural right thing to do. But I think he means something more than that. I mentioned that it could be translated righteous. The word in Greek is dikaios. It's used 81 times in the New Testament. 41 of those 81 times is righteous. And it basically means 
This is in keeping with God's commandments. This is in keeping with God's commandments. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is in keeping with God's commandments. Then he quotes Exodus 20, which sort of proves that point. This is well-pleasing to God. So, children, obey your parents, not because the Romans say it's right, or the Greeks say it's right, or the Americans say it right, because God says it's right. Period. That's the basis of it. That's the sanctity of the command. It's a righteous command. And we should also say that just because our culture says something is right doesn't make it right. Because there was a time in our culture when obeying your parents was considered holy ground. Not anymore. Respecting authority, holy ground, not anymore. Our values, our culture is rapidly changing. One popular speaker on a college campus said that he is looking for the world where there will be no schools, he said this at a school, imagine, no families and no parent-child relationship. He said, to free the child, we must do away with parenthood and marriage. We must settle for nothing less than the total elimination of the family. So you've got to keep in mind, with that boneheaded philosophy going around and gaining popularity, obedience is right, not because it's a culturally mandated thing, but because it's divinely mandated. It's righteous for this to occur. Fifth and finally, here's the support for the command. He's quoting, as I said, Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. So this is the reason it's right. This is the reason it's righteous because this isn't in God's top ten list. It made the top ten list of things God wants done. Honor your father and your mother. Now back in the Old Testament, this was the first commandment in the tablet of commandments dealing with human relationships that has a promise attached to it. And the promise is, do this, obey mom and dad, respect them, listen to them, so that you might enjoy a long life. You know why it says that? Because people look at that and go, are you saying that good kids never die young? Only bad kids? No, that's not what it necessarily means. The reason it says that in the Old Testament is because what was the penalty for disobeying your parents in the Old Testament? Yeah, it wasn't a guest appearance on The Simpsons or MTV or Ozzy. It was death. In Exodus 21, he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. Same chapter, Exodus 21, he who curses his father or mother will surely be put to death. Deuteronomy 27, cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. So... You understand now the whole commandment. This is the first commandment with a promise. Do this that you can live a long life. And in the Old Testament, that meant a lot. But now taking this into the New Testament, into our culture, it's not that obedient children enjoy longevity because we know that many good children, godly children, God-fearing children die young. But this is the general rule. The general rule is kids who honor and obey their parents will live longer. It's pretty easy to see why. Number one, obedient children will listen to their parents' warnings. Son, don't play on top of the roof. 
Don't play with knives. So because they're listening to their parents' directives and their words, their advice, they're going to have less accidents, less physical trauma. Do you remember growing up when your parents would tell you to stay away from things, not to do certain things, and they warned you, and you did them anyway? And you came really close even. I remember one time I was like 10 years old, and I, the, my parents went away, and I took a motorcycle out of the garage. I just started driving it down the street, and I wrecked it. I could have gotten killed. I remember the time when my parents said, stay away from the plate glass windows when you play with your brother. Well, I didn't listen to him. And we got a little bit angry with each other. And I threw him through the plate glass window into the front yard. He got cut up. Number two, obedient children will avoid bad habits and bad friends that will shorten life. You've heard it. You know, you grow up, your parents say, don't drink, don't smoke, don't do drugs. Because all those things usually shorten a person's life. Or, stay away from that kid, he's trouble. I had a friend my parents always said that to, didn't listen to him. His name was Richard Wilhite. He was a bad egg. My mom said, I don't like him, stay away from him. I didn't obey Richard Wilhite, a few years later, was murdered in a bad heroin deal. This is why parents say things like this to kids. And so this makes sense. You'll live a longer life if you obey your parents. Proverbs 4, verse 10, Solomon says to his son, Listen, my son, accept what I say, and the years of your life will be many. So disobedience brings consequences. And one of those consequences may be that life is shortened. And you live a very unfulfilled life. And a short one. A five-year-old was given the lecture by her mom. And her mom said, you know, honey, I, I keep telling you not to do these things, not to disobey. Let I me mean, just tell you something. You keep disobeying and you're going to have to live with the consequences. And her daughter said, Oh no, please, I don't want to live with the consequences. I want to live here at home with you. <laughs> she didn't quite get it. But we get it. We know what this means. This is the support for the command. This is the first commandment with a promise. I just want to close by saying this. There's only one thing that parents can take to heaven, and that's their kids. They can't take the car with them. They can't take a boat with them. They can't take their clothes with them. They can't take... I'm not going to get into the animal thing. If I say they can't take their dog, I'm sure I'll have people saying, my dog isn't going to heaven. <laughs> but the only thing parents can take to heaven is their children. Leading them to Christ, watching them grow spiritually is one of the most, I think, the most rewarding experience for any father or mother. And you know what the greatest fear of a Christian parent is? The greatest fear of a Christian parent isn't premature death is that their child won't be in heaven. The greatest fear of a Christian parent is that their child would go to hell rather than to heaven. Where are you tonight with the Lord? Children of parents? All of us are, aren't we? We're all children of some parents. Have you made a commitment to the Lord? Maybe you're the victim of a praying grandmother or mother. Great victim to be. 
In fact, maybe you feel a little uneasy in your life, and maybe it's due to all those prayers your mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt or uncle prayed for you. So maybe it's time to relinquish your life to the one who loves you so amazingly, your heavenly father, someone who wants to be your heavenly father. Let's pray. Lord, we learn so much from our homes. We all have baggage from growing up in the house that we did. Some good, some bad. But we were formed. Our opinions were formed. Our values were formed. Our response to authority was formed very early on. But now here we are, in this place, able to make choices for ourselves dealing with a God in heaven who could be, if we allow him, our heavenly father, the perfect parent. And I pray that if some are gathered here tonight, maybe their moms and dads have been praying for them, talking to them. Or maybe they remember when they walked forward at an altar call or walked close with you when they were much younger in the days when mom and dad took them to church. Lord, they haven't been following Christ lately. They haven't committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that tonight there would be a decision made right now, right here by many. 